0: Last week, you heard about the holiday called Rosh Hashanah. Anybody remember what exactly that was? That is in like English. Talking, what's Rosh Hashanah? What do they call it? The Feast of Trumpets, right? And that was really a fun one, right? It's lots of celebration and eating and enjoyment and sound and so on. And it marked the new year. Ten days after the Feast of Trumpets came Yom Kippur. Yom Kippur is a totally different kind of a holiday. This was a time of self-examination and repentance and forgiveness. It was the only day of the year that the Jews were supposed to fast. God said, you must deny yourself. And they spent the whole day in worship. And it was a yearly reminder that God's presence among them was based on his grace, on his mercy, on his great love for them. And it had nothing to do with their ability to earn his love or earn his favor. It was completely based on God loving his people and wanting them to know that they were forgiven. They were good with him. So let's read what God told his people about Yom Kippur. They were in the wilderness. God wanted them to have visuals, so he gave them a lot of visuals. This was one of them. And this holy day was so important that actually an entire chapter in Leviticus is dedicated to this story. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to read out of Leviticus 16 if you want to read along with me. That's fine, but the words are also going to be up here. And I'm going to stand over here so all of you can see that. And I'm just going to read it to you and then you're going to get kind of a visual. God wanted them to have visuals. So here we're going to start. Verse 1. The Lord spoke to Moses after the death of the two sons of Aaron who died when they approached the Lord. And the Lord said to Moses, tell your brother Aaron that he is not to come whenever he chooses into the most holy place behind the curtain in front of the atonement cover on the ark or else he will die for I will appear in the cloud over the atonement cover. This is how Aaron is to enter the most holy place. He must first bring a young bull for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering He is to put on the sacred linen tunic with linen undergarments next to his body. He is to tie the linen sash around him and put on the linen turban. These are sacred garments, so he must bathe himself with water before he puts them on. From the Israelite community, he is to take two male goats for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. Aaron is to offer the bull for his own sin offering to make atonement for himself and his whole household. Then he is to take the two goats and present them before the Lord at the entrance to the tent of meeting. He is to cast lots for the two goats, one lot for the Lord and the other for the scapegoat. Aaron shall bring the goat whose lot falls to the Lord and sacrifice it for a sin offering. But the goat chosen by lot as the scapegoat shall be presented alive before the Lord to be used for making atonement by sending it into the wilderness as a scapegoat. Okay, but first something has to happen. First, Aaron shall bring the bull for his own sin offering to make atonement for himself and his household. And he is to slaughter the bull for his own sin offering. Then he is to take a censer full of burning coals from the altar before the Lord and two handfuls of finely ground fragrant incense and take them behind the curtain. He is to put the incense on the fire before the Lord and the smoke of the incense will conceal the atonement cover above the tablets of the covenant law so that he will not die. He is to take some of the bull's blood and with his finger sprinkle it on the front of the atonement cover. Then he shall sprinkle some of it with his finger seven times before the atonement cover he shall then slaughter the goat for the sin offering for the people and take its blood behind the curtain and do with it as he did with the bull's blood he shall sprinkle it on the atonement cover and in front of it in this way he will make atonement for the most holy place because of the uncleanness and rebellion of the israelites whatever their sins have been He is to do the same for the tent of meeting, which is among them in the midst of their uncleanness. No one is to be in the tent of meeting from the time Aaron goes in to make atonement in the most holy place until he comes out, having made atonement for himself, his household, and the whole community of Israel. Then he shall come out to the altar that is before the Lord and make atonement for it. He shall take some of the bull's blood and some of the goat's blood and put it on all the horns of the altar. You see the altar there has four horns. You see two of them really clearly. But on all four corners, there are horns. Blood goes on each one of those. He shall sprinkle some of the blood on it with his finger seven times to cleanse it and to consecrate it from the uncleanness of the Israelite. When Aaron has finished making atonement for the most holy place, the tent of meeting, and the altar, he shall bring forward the live goat. He is to lay both hands on the head of the live goat and confess over it all the wickedness and rebellion of the Israelites, all their sins, and put them on the goat's head. Now just just think for a moment. This is the whole, everybody, the whole entire Nation of Israelites, he's supposed to name all their sins. Just a guess. How long did it take? Just a guess. Everything, all the sins. All right. So he's done that. People are like just weary now of hearing all their sins said out loud over this goat. He shall send the goat away into the wilderness in the care of someone appointed for the task. The goat will carry on itself all their sins to a remote place and the man shall release it in the wilderness. Now think, this was your moment. Any secret sin, don't you suppose that in the weeks leading up to Yom Kippur, people would come with their list. I want you to make sure you name this. Don't say it real loud, but I want you to name it because I want it on that goat and I want it in the wilderness. I'm serious. It was that important. Then Aaron is to go into the tent of meeting, And take off the linen garments he put on before he entered the most holy place. And he is to leave them there. And he shall bathe himself with water in the sanctuary area and put on his regular garments. Then he shall come out and sacrifice the burnt offering for himself and the burnt offering for the people to make atonement for himself and for the people. He shall also burn the fat of the sin offering on the altar. The man who releases the goat as a scapegoat, must wash his clothes and bathe himself with water. Afterward, he may come into the camp. And the bull and the goat for the sin offerings, whose blood was brought into the most holy place to make atonement, must be taken outside the camp. Their hides, flesh, and intestines are to be burned up. And the man who burns them must wash his clothes and bathe himself with water. Afterward, he may come into the camp. This is to be a lasting ordinance for you. On the 10th day of the 7th month, you must deny yourselves and do no work, whether native-born or a foreigner residing among you, because on this day atonement will be made for you to cleanse you. Then, before the Lord you will be clean from all your sins. It is a day of Sabbath rest, and you must deny yourselves. It is a lasting ordinance. This is to be a lasting ordinance for you. Atonement is to be made once a year for all the sins of the Israelites. Now, how do we know this was important to God that they do this? And he just spit it out. How do you know that this was important to God? He repeated himself. This is to be a lasting ordinance again and again. Do not, if you don't like any of the other festivals, fine. But do this one. Make sure you do this one. God gave careful instructions to Aaron so he wouldn't die when he approached God. God made it clear to Aaron and to all future high priests that they didn't have to be afraid to serve. But there was really only one way to approach God. Only the high priest could enter the most holy place, the holy of holies. And then he could only come in once a year and he could not come in without blood. Yom Kippur, the day of atonement and never without shedding blood. And uh, many of you know this. You heard and you saw no one else was supposed to be in there, not a soul, just him. And it was going to take a while to do all the things he was supposed to do. So they really didn't know how long he was supposed to come out. There was no timer. no, there's no watch. He didn't have a walkie-talkie. Okay, I just finished with the holy holies. I'm in the holy place now. We're going to good. Okay, right? There's none of that. So they, they, he had little bells on his robe. So, so if they really strained their ear, they could hear he might be moving. It was, it was big. The tabernacle was big. So they had one more thing they did just to make sure. They tied a rope around his ankle. At the very least, they could haul him out if he died and hadn't got it right. That never actually happened, but they still always used the rope. Even to this day, Yom Kippur is considered one of the holiest of Jewish holidays. And Jews traditionally observed this holiday for 25 hours. Now, God said it's a day, a day of fasting. How long is a day? 24 hours. So. Just hazard a guess. Why did they do it for 25 hours? Bam. We are going to hedge our bets on this one. We are going to make so sure we don't accidentally do 23 hours and 59 minutes. Not going to happen. We're going to do 25 hours of fasting. And then they would pray, and still do to this day, intensive prayer. So before sunset, on the eve of Yom Kippur, the congregation gathers in the synagogue there's an ark, which is just a little little box right up in the wall. It's there every day, but only once a year is it opened. Two scrolls of the Torah are taken out. And, and if you are, ever get a chance to be in a synagogue, these people love the word of God. They, they, they weep and they kiss the scroll as the people, uh, the men who have it in their hands walk up and down the aisles. And people reach out their hands to touch the scroll. They kiss the scroll in tense of prayer. This begins a worship service that they do only once a year. And it's a time of cleansing and forgiveness. Now, there's a truth we can learn from this. Holy days help us remember what God has done for us and what he will do. Now, for Jews, on the day of Yom Kippur, it's traditional to wear white clothes. I wore white leggings today to just kind of get me in the spirit. To help them, they wear white because it helps them remember their purity because they were forgiven fully by God. So just think to yourself, what do you consider a holy day? Now, an easy answer might be the holidays we mentioned. Like like Easter's a holy day. Christmas is a holy day. We even can make Thanksgiving a holy day. Some people might say well every Sunday's a holy day. Cuz even in the first century church, that's the day they started to gather together to remember Jesus rising from the dead and to think about what he was going to do in the future. Other Christians might point out, well, you know, once Jesus rose from the dead, every single day is holy because the work is finished. Now, just think about that. If every day is holy, if we went with that, what could you do to remember that it's holy? And one of the things you might do is to remember that you're forgiven every day and start the day fresh and new, dressed all in white, because you know that you're loved by God, blessed by God, and you're forgiven. Now, Yom Kippur has a special significance for Christians. Um, it's, it's so important that the writer of Hebrews wrote extensively on it. Here's what the writer said. Uh, for by one sacrifice, Jesus has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. So let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled, to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Holy days help us remember what God has done for us and what he will do. Now, let's take a look at the Day of Atonement one more time. And this time, let's keep Jesus in mind as both the high priest and, And the sacrifice. Now remember, first, God gave instructions to Aaron. Do you remember what they were? He was to bathe himself, and he was to put on this white clothing, this pure linen clothing. Now, this simple white garment that he was supposed to put on, that was what the ordinary priest wore. So what he had to take off was his glorious, richly embroidered, jewel-encrusted robe that said, I'm the high priest, only he got to wear it, He had to take that off, and he had to be dressed as a regular priest. Now, keep in mind what that must have looked like for Jesus. Remember when he took off his robes, and he was in the simple garment of a a servant, and then he took out a basin of water, and he washed each of the disciples' feet? But even more so, Jesus took off his glory, as it were, and he took on the form of a baby, and he came to us. So, two high priestly things that Jesus did. Um, Aaron was to find two goats. One goat was sacrificed and its blood was sprinkled on that atonement seat. The atonement seat, you can't really see it, but it's that place right there underneath the wings. Anybody remember what was inside the ark? That's called an ark. Anybody remember what was in there? Right. What was on the tablets? The law. And remember what he does with the other goat? He, He explains or it says all the ways they broke the law. So if you're a Jew and you're thinking visually about God looking down and sitting right on here, underneath here is broken law, basically. And what God says is if you sprinkle that atonement blood, I won't see the broken law. I'll see the atonement. That's the visual. God sees everything. But if he was trying to tell the Jewish people something that they could get their hands on, you've made atonement. It's covered. I won't look at that anymore. And that's how we talk about Jesus. Remember that Jesus was flogged. You all remember that? He was flogged on the Temple Mount. Now, Dave and I talked about that last night. No, he wasn't. Well, he was because Pilate had a special headquarters that he opened up every Passover. And that headquarters was right across from the Temple. 'Cause there were a lot of zealots who just hated Roman rule and they got especially feisty during Passover. So Pilate would move into his headquarters on the Temple Mount, kind of like Just try it, make my day. And when he had Jesus flogged, it was on the Temple Mount. On the Temple Mount is where Jesus' blood was shed, just like on Yom Kippur, when the goat was blood was shed. Now, there's another little teeny tidbit. I don't know if you remember it. Leviticus 16, 27. For those of you who like to check facts, you can go there right now. Uh, It says, the bull and the goat for the sin offerings, whose blood was brought into the most holy place to make atonement, must be taken outside the camp. The body was taken outside the camp, and that's where it had to be burnt up. Jesus' blood was shed on the temple mount. Then what happened to him? He was taken outside Jerusalem's walls and he was crucified outside of the city and he was buried outside of the city. Another crossover we have with our Lord Jesus as both sacrificed and high priest with Yom Kippur. The second goat was symbolic. What Jesus did was reality. He did it once and for all. He did it for real. The Bible says Jesus, the, the, the sin went on the goat symbolically. The goat ran away. Symbolically, the sins run away. The Bible says Jesus became sin for us. And if you think about what he did, all of sin was inside him. And all the wrath that destroys sin was inside him. And destroyed inside him. Only God could do that. And that's what Jesus did for us. So we're going to go back to Hebrews chapter 9 this time, see how the Hebrews writer put it together. He said, when Christ came as high priest of the good things that are now already here, he went through the greater and more perfect tabernacle that is not made with human hands, that is to say, is not a part of this creation. He did not enter by the means of the blood of goats and calves. No, he entered the most holy place, the real one, once for all by his own blood, thus obtaining eternal redemption. The blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkled on those who are ceremonially unclean sanctify them so that they are outwardly clean. Outwardly. How much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our consciences, from acts that lead to death, so that we may serve the living God. Now, here's a truth we can get from that. It's real simple. Being saved is complete and permanent. See that empty tomb? Because he rose again, Jesus says to us, it's complete and permanent. It is finished, for real. Now, the Hebrews writer keeps teaching on Yom Kippur. He pulls all the symbolism and meaning of Yom Kippur together, and the Lord Jesus is the ultimate sacrifice and high priest. So we're going to look at chapter seven. Now here's what the writer says, because Jesus lives forever. He has a permanent priesthood. Therefore he is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. Such a high priest truly meets our need. One who is holy, blameless, pure, set apart from sinners, exalted above the heavens. Unlike the other high priests, he does not need to offer sacrifices day after day, first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people. He sacrificed for their sins once for all when he offered himself. For the law appoints as high priests men in all their weakness, but the oath which came after the law appointed the son who has become perfect forever. Now, we're going to do one more clip out of Hebrews. We're not going to read it all together. I'm just going to tell you. Um, but you can go back and check on me later. Hebrews 8 explained the difference between the old covenant that God made with Moses and the people. We talk about Old Testament and New Testament, right? When you got a Bible, it's got an Old Testament and a New Testament. One way, just one way you can think about that is that the Old Testament is informative the New Testament is transformative. Another way that you can think about it is the Old Testament represents the Old Covenant. The New Testament represents the New Covenant. Here's what the Hebrews writer says. The Old Covenant was conditional. It was bilateral. It had two sides. God's side, if you obey me, I will bless you. And of course, it had a converse too. If you disobey me, I'll curse you. The people's side, they promised to keep God's law. Well, they had good intentions. The Mosaic Covenant was a good covenant, but again and again, God's people failed to keep it, and God knew that they would fail. So he provided a whole sacrificial system with priests and a tabernacle and and beautiful visuals and sacrifices that went on all day, every day. And this was to atone for or cover the failures that they were going to make. And then at the perfect time, Jesus would come as the ultimate high priest and the ultimate sacrifice. He would end the old covenant. Got that? He would end the old covenant and he would bring the new covenant into effect. And this was God's plan all along. See, it, it's not as though God said, hmm, boy, this, this is a very unruly people. I shall make laws. First, I'll give them 10. They can memorize 10. Then I shall give them more laws because they've thought of many ways to be unruly and rebellious. But they will fail. So I shall set up a sacrificial system for them to confess their sins. And we'll see how that works. And then watching for a few thousand years and saying, yeah, that's not working. I shall make a new plan and I shall send my son. And sometimes we see the Bible like that because we're reading it in a linear fashion, but it was never the way it was. We see clear back to God. Adam and Eve, God always had a plan for bringing people close to himself, a beautiful, pure, and clean and forgiven people. So I have a few G's to kind of help us remember what this new covenant is like. For one thing, it has guaranteed success. Thank goodness, because it's a unilateral covenant. God is going to do the whole thing. All humankind has to do is say yes, basically. Sure, I love that. Let's do it. The second thing that this covenant brings is goodness, because God's law is no longer an external code. It's an inward knowledge that God gives us. He puts it in our hearts and minds. So now we follow God's law, not out of fear or a sense of duty or trying to, you know, get an A plus, which I do like A pluses, but that's not why. It's it comes from an upwelling of love and delight. It's our new nature. The next thing it gives us, I call it gospel, because that starts with G. But what I mean is that God's going to make it possible for people to know him intimately, to have fellowship with him. And that process is called regeneration. Regeneration, this is where we get to the supernatural part. I mean, Christianity has a lot of intellectual parts, has some emotional parts, but it has a supernatural part too. And the supernatural part is that Our bodies were created to possess a supernatural spirit. And that supernatural spirit is God's Holy Spirit. He made us so that we can have him live with inside us. Now, that's supernatural. That's not emotional. That's not intellectual. That's not a thing we do. That's a thing God does. He fills us with his spirit. He puts his spirit in us. And once he's in, he stays in and he changes us. The next G is greatness. And this is another fantastic thing. Everybody under this new covenant is equal before God. Equal in significance. Equal in value. Equal in worth. There's no need for a high priest, a human high priest. There's no need for fancy vestments. There's no need for a hierarchy of special spiritual people and the not as spiritual people and so on. No need for that. Everybody is equal before God because everybody equally gets his Holy Spirit. That's pretty incredible. But there's more. The last thing I added was grace because the forgiveness is complete and it's final. And it's free. So I think the author of hebrews if, if if that author was was with us today here's here's what I think he might say if you're trying if, if you're if you're tired of trying to be a good Christian, move under the new covenant. Are you trying to make up for yesterday's failures? are you trying to earn some extra points? Are you laboring under a sense of guilt and shame? God is saying. You do not need to keep any rules. This is a unilateral covenant. I love you already. You are free to enjoy my love. When you really blow it, okay, I forgive you. Have you blown it for the 500th time? Guess what God is doing? He's throwing confetti because he's saying, oh, we only have 10,000 left to go. Oh, she's doing good. Just come back. It's unilateral, and it's free. You you can be free from guilt. You can be free from shame, free from enslaving habits, free from any burden that you're carrying. Now, there's a tension between how much you want to do, what you know is right in God's eyes, and how much you don't do it. I should say for me, too. I mean, there are plenty of things that I do, and I'm like, yeah, I know that's wrong. In fact, have you ever been in this moment? It's almost hanging in the air. There's the wrong thing. There's the right thing. And you're like... I'm gonna do the wrong thing, and then there you go. God says, ah, "Okay, you only have 567 more times to go, and then you'll just give it up." Because He has the Spirit within you, it's a process of change. So, in what part of your life? Think about the this river of life flowing through you, God's life, His Holy Spirit in you, flowing through you. What would you like to have cleansed? You don't really have to wait. You don't need Yom Kippur. Even right now you could just say God yeah I'm kind of tired of it actually. I'd like the river to flow through that place too. Do you have a song for us? All right. Awesome cuz I love singing.